you feel it? I'd say there's something magical in the air, wouldn't you? Why, it's the spirit of the season. Now you've got it. Wow, wow, wow. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 198 for the week of November 28th, 2010. We'll continue our journey down Main Street, USA, as we take our time and explore the details, hidden treasures, and history of the Emporium and Center Street. Jim Corcus and I point out many of the overlooked details that tell the story of this Victorian seaside town. With the holiday season underway and many fans wishing for Disney presents under the tree, I'll talk with Stephen Miller, merchandise manager for the Disney Parks, about the Disney pin collecting and trading phenomenon, the explosive growth and popularity of Vinylmation, and the introduction and story of Duffy the Disney Bear. I'll announce a special WDW Radio event for 2011 that may be a nice addition to a Disney trip already in your plans, then have a few other announcements and play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. While working on my very first audio guide to Walt Disney World CD, which was Main Street USA, it was an incredible experience for me personally to be able to spend the time and do the research and learn so much about a place that I enjoyed so much and learn more about what I like to try and convey with the show and with the guides are the stories and the details. But it was frustrating for me as well because you'd say, well, you know, a CD, you certainly have plenty of time to talk about Main Street. You have no attractions. You have no shows. There's not much really to talk about there. But I was confined by my 80 minutes uh, because there was so much more that I wanted to tell. There were so many stories that I wanted to tell. And I knew, too, there was much more that I had to learn about Main Street because the level and the depth of the stories and the detail goes so very deep. And... Not everything you can find out online or even in books or historical documents can tell all those stories. You need to hear them from somebody who knows them probably better than anybody else. And that kind of an intro can only lead us to the one person who can share some of those incredible stories and details and hopefully make you appreciate and understand more everything that takes place here in Walt Disney World that is the incomparable and very handsome, I might add, Mr. Jim Corcus. Well, g- gosh, last time I was affable. So this, <laughs> this is, boy, this sounds so good. It's only downhill from here. And uh, I would like to say that uh, I have a copy of Lou's CD, and I absolutely love it. And I would recommend that all of you who love um, Main Street USA out here at uh, Walt Disney World, make sure you get a copy of that. Uh, you, you're just going to enjoy it, and you're going to want to listen to it more than once. But, but as Lou said, you know, he was constrained in terms of the amount of time that he had, and uh, the, the stories, even just of Main Street alone, are, are so rich. In fact, we're standing outside... Um, the Emporium, and we're going to go in and we're going to uh, take a look a little bit at the story of the Emporium and a little bit of the story of uh, Center Street, because again, there's so much to tell, oftentimes these are stories that get lost in the shuffle, and these are the types of stories that you might want to share with your uh, friends and family. So let's go inside the Emporium here. You know, when we talk about the Emporium and Main Street, there are really two sets of stories, and that's how I sort of approached it because there is the story of how it grew and how its presence here in Walt Disney World changed with the closing of, of West Center Street and how this shop grew and has changed over the years. 
but that ties into the real backstory. And you say, well, it's just a shop. It's a merchandise shop. What kind of a possible backstory could it have? And I touched on it briefly about Osh Popham being its proprietor and how it grew over time. But again, there's so many more layers to it. And now we're standing inside and you can appreciate a lot of those stories just by taking the time and looking around at some of the details. Now, you better explain to people who Osh Popham is there, because now, <laughs> now they're it. Googling c- completely, and they're not going to listen to any of this. Who is Osh Popham? Osh Popham was from a Disney film from the 1960s called Summer Magic. Absolutely, where Burl Ives played the character, and, and he was a turn-of-the-century uh, store owner. So that's how that uh, themes in with uh, this story. And as Lou said, there, there's actually... Um, Two stories in any uh, Disney theme park. There's the story of the, the park itself and its, its development and its growth, but there's the uh, individual stories of, of each of the areas. And uh, Main Street USA is very rich uh, with stories. Right now, we're standing in uh, what many people would consider about the uh, center uh, of the uh, Emporium. And the reason we're doing that is because this helps tell uh, part of the, the story. This really was owned by a, uh, a, a turn-of-the-century uh, family, and, and, it, and it grew. Now, a lot of people don't know that story, and as a result, sometimes changes take place. Uh, uh, again, my heart drops because, of course, when the Emporium opened, on the walls there were uh, pictures, there were report cards, there, uh, up on the uh, top shelves there were uh, turn-of-the-century toys, whatever. And if you followed those pictures, you could follow the story of the people who owned the Emporium and their children and the children growing up and then taking over the running of, of the Emporium. But again, uh, a maintenance issue. Why do we need to have those up and why do we need to clean those? And don't we need room for another uh, plush Mickey? And so uh, those stories go. But there are some parts of the story you can't change. One of those is that um, when this town opened, uh, again, like most towns, it, it was very small. It, it, it started at a, a crossroads, and that's where you would have a farmer's market. And from a farmer's market, it expands into a city, a very common story uh, for the development of most cities. And so this shop uh, started fairly small, and this was the original shop right here. And we can, we can even see uh, the uh, remnants of the upper windows that would go to the out street. We, we see sticking out from the wall uh, where the walls were, and the walls were broken away because as this became a successful store, it expanded. Now, we can tell that this is the earliest part of the store, and in fact, if you've listened to, to one of the earlier podcasts, you know why. Because you take a look at the light fixtures. And what do the light fixtures tell you, Lou? Well, they're, the, they're brass hanging light fixtures with globes that face upwards, like you said. So they're? Gas. So they're clearly gla- gas. The gas lighting. And so that was the original lighting. But if you take a look on the other sides of, of the store, you see that you have a mixture of it going up and down. And as I said, oftentimes gas lighting was then reconfigured into electric lighting by running uh, the cords through the, uh, the gas piping. And so obviously those sections are newer. This is the oldest part of the, the, the store. And, so, we're, and we're standing so people can kind of get uh, wrap mm-hmm. their minds around it. We're standing in, if you were to come from Town Square, there's the entrance on the corner. Well, we're opposite the uh, cinema, Main Street Cinema. Right, that main entrance, the first main entrance on Main Street across the cinema. The address is 115, and we've talked in in the past about uh, the the significance of the address. And it's sort of an octagonal-shaped room. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, this expanded, but it didn't expand both ways at the same time. You know, uh, as you get a little money, you expand, and as you get a little bit more, you expand expand again. In this case, it's very clear where the expansion goes. It's headed out towards Center Street. And why would that be? Because that is the oldest street, because it's that cobblestone. It's that brick cobblestone. So that obviously was the first street. So you would want to expand your store towards where the the street was, where the the traffic was. And we can can also see, and again, this is a a change that was made, uh, unfortunately. We were were looking at uh, shelves of uh, uh, plush uh, Disney characters, and there's wood paneling over there. There used to be wood slats 
that went across before the, the rehab in here. And that was important to the story because on the other side, there are windows. So the wood slats and the wood paneling let you know that that's been boarded up. You can't get to those windows anymore. They want you to come in the main entrance. And even where we are right now is not the main entrance because uh, as the train station got built, you want your store for those train uh, guests who are coming in, maybe even just stopping for you know a few minutes. So you expand the store that way. And we know that that is the, the final expansion because um, not only is it larger, but we see stained glass, the stained glass sign Emporium. And you wouldn't buy that when you were first opening a store. You wouldn't be investing your money in that, even in your first expansion. But when you were so rich and successful, you would go to that. And so how wonderful this is, and there's a whole story in here. So as you're rushing in um, to buy those uh, uh, little last-minute souvenirs and a, a wonderful place to stop to do so, there's a story. Go take a look at, at some of the detail that still remains in here that helps uh, uh, tell that story. But let's go outside and take a look at uh, uh, Center Street. So we'll go out uh, the door here and, oh my gosh, take a look at that uh, clock up there. Uh, what's right about it and what's wrong? The, I'll tell you right now, the time is, is, is uh, uh, correct, I, you know. Well, the time is accurate, but I know a lot of people say, well, if you look at the number four, how come you're not using the IV, which is, tr which is currently the Roman numeral uh, way that we write the number four? And why is that, Lou? Because back at this time, and you'll see this in other places, not only here, but in places like Liberty Square and, and the American Adventure Pavilion, in early times, that's how the number four was represented. Right, so that aesthetically it would balance off with uh, the eight on the other uh, side from an artistic standpoint. See how clever and smart you are, Luke? And, and again, you know, people won't recognize that, but if it wasn't right, again, it takes you out uh, of the story there. Let's go to, to Center Street. There's a reason why it's called uh, uh, Center Street and a reason why it was called uh, Center Street uh, out at uh, uh, Disneyland uh, uh, as, as well, you know? A lot of times, you know, it's so effective here, people forget... There are only four buildings on Main Street. That's it. Only four buildings. But with all the uh, different uh, uh, facades, it looks like so many uh, others. And in fact, you know, the person who built the first mall in the United States used Disneyland as the model. Because That's another Jim Corcus aha moment. You know. <laughs> so because, uh, again, in that mall, you have that building but by dividing up the facades because in a real main street what would happen is you would have gaps between the buildings because they're separate buildings you know and uh, you don't but in a mall you don't and in a mall you have anchor shops to pull you from one end to the other so we have the train station we have the castle pulls you one way or the other and usually in the center that's where you have your food court or whatever so it doesn't seem like it's a long trip one way uh or the, the other there. And, you know, we never talked about the, um, the paint either on, the, on these uh, buildings because uh, Main Street turn of the century, it would be uh, white or actually a uh, dull green, which uh, uh, helped with uh, uh, weatherproofing. So there's a reason why we have all these colorful buildings, and it relates uh, to the year that Disneyland opened, 1955. And here I am thinking that the pastels just look pretty. <laughs> and uh, at home, you're probably thinking now, what Disney animated feature was released around 1955? Took place at the turn of the century. Lady and the Tramp. And so the same color scheme for some of those buildings in the film are used here. And, uh, you know, everybody who thinks of me as the uh, smartest man in the world, I'm actually pretty dumb. And um, as, I, as I've always been wont to say, my, my dad used to tell me, Jim, it's okay to be dumb for, for five minutes if you're a hero for the rest of your life. 
So I was standing right about here with uh, Imagineer John Hench, who's a little taller than you, Luke. And, uh, <laughs> no need for that. And, 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 and he says, well, well, Jim, you've been to Disneyland. I said, yes, John, I grew up at Disneyland. I love Disneyland. And, and I said, it, it's kind of a different experience out here. He says, well, what about the, the colors on, on the building? I said, yeah, they're, they're very similar to Disneyland. I, I, I would have to take a look at pictures, but I would say, you know, they're, they're pretty close, if not exact. And he says... They're exactly the same and completely different. Explain it to me. And so, of course, I stand there like an idiot. And, uh, all right, I, I, I hate those riddles. You know, what walks on four feet in the morning? And, to, and Okay, okay, John, I have no idea how these colors are exactly the same as the ones in Disneyland, but completely different. He says, Jim, look up. And I'm figuring a bird's flying over something. No, look at the sky. In California, you have smog, so there's a red tint in the sky. Out here in Florida, it's blue. So in order for these colors to look exactly the same as they were in Disneyland, they had to be mixed differently to take into account that red tint that's already in the sky at Disneyland. Now, we're here at uh, Center Street that would divide the, the town, and, and, I, and I told Lou that that new building uh, over there on Center Street that closes off Center Street is completely uh, completely wrong. It it, it helps uh, destroy the story, and uh, again, it, it, it's a case of people don't know the story, so they pr- built it there. It, we don't need another merchandise shop, but they built it there, and it destroys the story. And the reason for that is, as we take a look at Center Street, uh, over towards this way that still exists, it goes down and it curves. Now, logically, our mind knows, no, there's nothing down there. I'm a Disney fan. I went down there to, to take a look. It's a backstage entrance for, for, for cast members. But emotionally, we take a look, and because it goes down and it curves, we think the town continues. By cutting off Center Street over here, we have now made this a smaller town. Instead of being a magnificent, you know, East Coast turn-of-the-century town, it's now become much smaller. It should go on. There are other adventures uh, to see. I was just point out, at one point it did. You know, yeah. Around uh, 2000 or so, the story, both real and imaginary, did change as West Center Street closed down. We lost places like the original location of the Harmony Barbershop, some of the other wonderful little stores, uh, very niche stores that used to be down there. And then it, the story went that it, the Emporium expanded, and that's why it was cut off like that. Uh, it was a new store for a new century, both the 1901 and 2001 as well. And, but why would you expand there? See, the, ex- the normal expansion in there was that made sense. You expand to the old part of the city. Then you expand to where the, you know, the train station is going to be. Why do you stick it in a, a, a little corner? And again, it's not even flush with the street. So uh, people wouldn't be able to see it from the street. Uh, you know, we passed the confectionery shop. They, they changed the story in there. The original story in there was it was a dentist, Thomas McCrum, who uh, went to the Columbian Exposition and saw all of the uh, uh, mechanical devices and all that. That's why you have all the mechanical devices in that confectionery shop, because he was bringing it back from the World's Fair. The overhead and, conveyors. And-, and, and Thomas McCrum, that was an inside gag, because that was the dentist uh, who helped uh, Walt Disney, gave him money to make uh, the first live-action film, Tommy Tucker's Tooth, gave him enough money he could make Alice's Wonderland. And then, of course, the gag that a dentist is running a candy shop. <laughs> And so they had his picture, they had certificates, they had memorabilia from the World's Fair. All of that in there is gone now. Gone, gone, gone. Because people didn't understand the story. Because nobody told them the story. So, Jim, as we stand here in the center of Main Street, in the middle of Main Street, we refer to it affectionately as Center Street, and that's what it has been known as, although there's no sort of street sign sort of marking as such. But as another Jim Corcus aha moment, this is not just the center of Main Street, USA. It, no, it, it, it's the uh, center of the East Coast, which, of course, is what Main Street, USA here represents. And we can tell that by the architecture. So if we take a look at the Uptown Jewelers, the green building there, if you take a look at the Roth Iron and the filigree and all that, that reminds you of New Orleans, the architecture of New Orleans. But right across the street at the Emporium, you see the blue. And if you take a look at the top, you see what is called a widow's walk. 
And so that's from New England because uh, women would walk on that walk to look out to the sea to see, you know, are their husbands returning from the sea? And it was a widow's walk because sometimes the people didn't return from the sea. So you've got New England. And then right across from that, the yellow building there, uh, that represents architecture from Chicago at uh, uh, the uh, turn of the century. And, of course, that new building on Center Street doesn't represent anything. Uh, It doesn't, (laughs) except generic turn-of-the-century architecture. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, Lightning will strike me. And then right across the street, we're taking a look at the uh, Crystal Arts and uh, this uh, sort of dull green building. Actually, those uh, pillars there, those Greco-Roman pillars, this is the style uh, from New York at uh, the turn of the century. And uh, I think on your CD, uh, you mentioned uh, something about the windows there. Yeah, certainly we've, we've glossed over the fact that above all these buildings are the, the infamous windows on Rain Street, which pay homage to so many of the people that made Walt Disney World happen, uh, specifically here, as well as people that have worked on some of the attractions. If, if we're looking over the Crystal Arts building, you see M.T. Lott, real estate company, and this, as the story goes, M.T. Lott was the name of one of the fictitious companies that was used by Disney very secretively to obviously not let people realize that it was the Disney company buying up all this swampland uh, for, for pennies, really. And you'll see some of the other names like Compass East, I-4, A-Y-E-F-O-U-R, which represented Interstate 4, Bay Lake Properties, Reedy Creek Ranch Lakes. There's, I mean, the windows on Main Street, a separate segment for a separate day because there are so many wonderful stories. And something else to look at, too, we talked about the growth and the progression and the evolution of Main Street, representative of the town itself and the growth. If you look at the Crystal Arts, you'll see that was established in 1875. The Uptown Jewelers, 1881. The Emporium, 1863. And the building that you oh so hate so very much (laughs) on on West Center Street, 1901. So that helps sort of convey the timetable and the storyline as well. Ab- absolutely. And there, and there's, uh, you know, and again, things that, that are missing. You know, you used to be able to walk down here by Crystal Arts, and there used to be a sign out here, beveled glass, you know, that said Crystal Arts. And one of the things I loved uh, doing with people is take a look at that sign, go around the other s- side and read it, and they could read it, and they could read it. And it's like, how can you, how can you do that? It was because it was a mirror. You know, because you wanted to be able to read it both ways. Well, Lou, as and always, a, a, a terrific pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to share these stories. I hope your listeners will go out and share these stories with other folks as well. And certainly, I hope that they come here and take the time to explore Main Street. It is not just a conduit to the attractions, but it is a story and an attraction in and of itself. And take the time and wander through and learn and try and find out and, and discover some of these details on your own. Certainly there are so many more stories behind the stories. And as I said at the beginning, and I will say always, there's no better person to tell those stories than Jim Corcus. You can hear him here on the show, hopefully more often, certainly read more of his work in Celebrations Magazine. We're so honored to have him share some of these stories that you can't find anywhere else there. And certainly to learn more about Main Street USA, get the, compared to Jim Corcus, really the nickel tour Um, but sort of a a walk down Main Street and a journey through its history and details, certainly be sure and check out one of my audio guides to Walt Disney World, which is available at WDWRadio.com. Jim Corcus, thank you as always. And thank you, Lou, and thank you very much. So in the spirit of the season and the spirit of giving, what better to give your favorite Disney fan than some Disney merchandise? And I'm here joined this morning with Steve Miller, the merchandise manager. Steve, good morning. Morning. How are you doing today? Good. Happy holidays. And as a, uh, and as a Disney enthusiast myself, I 
enjoy getting nothing more than, than my Disney merchandise. Uh, and there's a lot of new things this year, and there's still a lot of things that continue to be very, very popular. Let's sort of start with one of the ones that comes to mind because uh, very early on, I and now my children got involved in pin trading and pin collecting. And it's one of those things that I think continues to be successful because it's not only an, an inexpensive collectible, but it becomes a very sort of interactive experience for people. And that's really the key. Um, you know, pin trading, I've been involved with now over seven years and uh, with the actual merchandise team. Um, and I think you hit on that great point. You know, it's it's great. We have really a wonderful variety of pins themed for the holidays. Uh, there's Passholder exclusive pins. There's Disney Vacation Club exclusive pins. There's all sorts of different types of collections that we offer. But it really is about the exchange. You know, and I think that's what we encourage our customers to do is have a really just a fun time. Make that magic. You know, exchange pins. Collect what you like. Find the thing that's important to you. And pins really affords our guests then that great opportunity to showcase what they like. So you are a Passholder. You have a chance to come out. You can get all sorts of Passholder exclusive and you walk around. You know, and you can say, hey, look, this is what's important to me. I've been to this event. I went to that event. Or I like Mickey Mouse, and you have a lanyard full of Mickey Mouse pins. I've met so many guests over the years that that's what they really enjoy, is just that exchange, that interaction with uh, not only our cast, but with each other. Yeah, it becomes a conversation starter because people, kids and adults, are looking at each other's pins. Next thing you know, the trading, talking, and I've seen actually many friendships start from this, and there's pin collecting groups that meet all the time, and it even sort of takes the experience outside the parks because they can do it online or in person. Yeah, and I think that's really it. We're about building a sense of community. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, the opportunity for our guests to come here and become cherished friends. The idea that, you know... we welcome into our homes. And I think that, you know, what you find is that social interaction. There is certainly the, the Internet allows that, you know, to, to take place, uh, online tools, things along those lines. Um, but I think, you know, again, friendships have been formed quite a bit. I've heard story after story of people that come back time and time again each year. They meet up. Uh, we have obviously our annual events that take place. Uh, uh, throughout the entire year that are themed around trading, monthly trading activities. And again, for me, um, I started in merchandise at Pleasure Island on the college program. Uh, this is summer 97. There was no such thing as pin trading. We had pins, but there was never really any pin trading. I sold a lot of uh, bubble guns, you know, at 1 o'clock in the morning after people get out of the clubs. Uh, but you talk about that interaction. It does become that instantaneous icebreaker. Um, because you're no longer coming into a store and saying, um, can I help you find anything? You know, no thanks, just looking. You know, that you're actually saying, hey, I see you went on Expedition Everest. You know, you like that? You know, did you like that? How was it? Did you see the Yeti? You know, it becomes that instantaneous conversation with um, our fans and our guests. Um, that is just, it's much more. It becomes that Disney experience, that great storytelling, that great, you know, through collecting, through trading. Um, it's fun. And it's fun and easy to do. Uh, easy is the thing because it's a very easy entry point, whether it's a price point or whether it's, well, how do I get started? Well, if the Haunted Mansion is your thing, then say, all right, I'm going to start looking for Haunted Mansion pins. Uh, And it's something that's accessible to both kids and adults and seniors, and it lets them, all the different multi-generations, get involved with each other, too. Yeah, and I think I have seen that. I met a guest at um, the recent Disney pin celebration, Trade City USA. It was the end of August um, uh, 2010 here at at Epcot, and there was a guest who's been coming to every single event. Her name's Molly. She's 92. And every year we get a picture together, and she just loves, you know, come out with her son and uh, her son's wife, and they just enjoy the exchange. They enjoy the interaction. 92. I hope I'm kicking at 92, you know. But I think for her, it is that, again, that sense of friendship, that sense of, you know, Disney, and, and being able to share that whole idea of community through Disney. And I think you mentioned Disney enthusiasts. That's really, at the end of the day, it is. It's, it's taking a tangible memory. Um, that hunting and gathering, trying to find those ones that, you know, complete your collection, but really showcasing what is so important to them when it comes as related to Disney. You know what, I have a feeling this pin thing's going to take off. I just, it, call it a hunch, I think it will. And, and speaking of things that took off that I have to tell you, I never saw coming. Uh, when I saw this this small three-inch little plastic figure introduced some time ago, I said, what, what is this? And it became Vinylmation, and now it's sort of part of every Disney enthusiast's vocabulary. 
Well, you know, Vinylmation started small, and, and it was introduced in November 2008 at the uh, Festival of the Masters, recently concluded this past weekend. And, um, you know, when we planned it, it was going to be this little thing. You know, we wanted to find an opening kind of price point, a nice collectible item featuring artistic expression for our gallery locations. Uh, clearly, it has become a very popular thing. It has caught the radar of our senior leaders, including Bob Iger, Tom Staggs. I mean, they love the concept of it because, again, I think it goes back to great storytelling through artistic expression. Animation being one of those root words of the word vinyl, vinyl being the medium we work in. So we're literally able to do these great three-dimensional designs using this Mickey Mouse-shaped form, and our artists can go to town. I mean, they can do whatever it might be. Drawing inspiration from the parks, you know, our great classic attraction shows, characters, as well as um, the urban experience, which is this literally, hey, artists, do whatever you'd like and leave it up to interpretation. But we have so many great things that are coming from series that are based around, obviously, classic characters, um, Toy Story, you think about Nightmare Before Christmas, Star Wars, which is coming in January, we cannot wait for. Um, but then there's other fun things we can do from a nostalgia perspective. You think about, and I brought some of the uh, the Passholder exclusive ones here, oh, which I love the Orange Bird. I have the long playing record. I have some Orange Bird merchandise that I found somewhere here in Central Florida. I was even driving down a local highway here, and I stopped off one of those you know, Florida orange places, and in the window was a vintage 1974 Orange Bird sticker. I was, like, geeking out, you know. But being able to do something like this for our pass holders, who obviously have a huge affinity for Disney, and uh, you know, not only Orange Bird, Mr. Toad, that idea that we can really um, highlight and celebrate some of those classic Disney characters, attractions, things that people remember when they came to Disney World time and time again, especially as a pass holder. I almost broke out into the little Orange Bird song, but I, um, and this is, you know, that's actually one of the things even that, for me, sort of brought me into the Vinylmation experience. It says, you know, I, I can't start another collection. My shelves are filled with Disney things, and, and this is what I like about them, is, is how easy it is to display them, because you can just put them on a shelf, you don't need a pin board or a pin lanyard. But when you started to bring out things like Smart One and Figment, I said, all right, I'm just going to get one. And, and it can't. You sort of can't just get one because, again, you sort of start going down that path. I love the nostalgic attractions. I have my toad. I don't have an orange bird yet, but I might try and swipe yours when you're not looking. Um, and, again, it's that easy entry point. I think the, the brilliant thing, frustrating for some, but brilliant, is the hunt because you don't sort of walk up and say, I want this vinylmation. Tell us about sort of the, the mystery box experience. Well, you know, the mystery box, it really draws its inspiration from designer collectible toys. I mean, that is certainly in the marketplace. And Randy Noble, um, who was really kind of the uh, artist who was behind Vinylmation, uh, him and Dan Howard and Aaron Babcock, one of our developers, who now does seasonal product, um, when they were thinking about this, you know, they were benchmarking, they looked out, they went to California, they saw this kind of vinyl collectible toy. And that sense of mystery, that thrill of the chase, is clearly one of those things. Um, the thing, though, is we found, and again, we're working a lot in real time when it comes to Vinylmation, so there's been a lot of changes, there's things that we continue to ebb and flow and try new things and, and really try to continue to push the envelope on not only design, but packaging and collections and nostalgia and you name it. Um, you know, that sense of mystery is one of those things that's important, but we also know that guests like choice. And I think that, you know, you're going to see the business really transition from 50% mystery and 50% open open window box. You know, I brought some of the uh, open window box here, uh, like the one for Magic Kingdom. This is the little toy soldier um, that is themed for Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, but it isn't in an open window box. We've retired the tin concept and put it in an open window box because that way guests can see it. In a tin, they didn't really know what it was, but being able to theme these to the holidays, being able to do really unique ones um, for our guests that offer a great display. I mean, it's really, at the end of the day, they're easy to display, you put them on a shelf, and there you go. Um, I think that's where our business is really headed. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny that you say that because there was something pr- pleasantly frustrating about buying the box and opening up and saying, okay, well, maybe this isn't the one I was looking for, but you've also introduced the idea that on many of the retail counters... You can go up, and there is either three of them in a, in a clear display that you can trade with, or sort of that mystery box with the numbers. And cast members will sometimes help you along to help find the one they want. And that's really the key, like trading and pin trading. That is, when we introduced the trading concept, I was, you know, the one that was leading that charge. We wanted it just to be fun. I mean, the interaction, I think, is really key. I have a five-year-old son, and I took him trading here for the first time at Magic Kingdom and Tomorrowland Arcade. 
this is a couple months ago, and uh, he went out and traded from the mystery box. And the cast member's name was Anna Ria, and I'll never forget her because I got a picture with him and, 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 and my son, uh, with her and my son. And um, what she did was just something so simple. Um, she's like, okay, now pick a number, and he picked 14 or whatever it was. And then she got down and said, all right, now close your eyes. And you know how kids get. You know, they love that element surprise. And so she, like, revealed it to him, you know. And I think that it was delight in his eyes. He didn't care what he traded. It wasn't a matter of what he got. It was just the fact that she took the time to make that little extra magic. So you're right. We encourage cast members to help out. But that trading element, mystery does lead itself to that, you know. And I think that's one of those things that is the key to success, is that we want that great interaction just like trading. And it was inspired by pin trading. But, again, we wanted to keep some things unique. Uh, clearly, they're not as portable as pins. <laughs> they are a little. Though I did try wearing them around a lanyard around the office uh, we had all different types of versions and really we settled on it has to be location based because without it then there, it just it's too heavy to carry around uh, as on a daily basis for our customers so d street being that mothership of all things automation at downtown disney that's really kind of the hub of where it all grew out now we have 60 plus locations across walt disney world and many more in california and also in paris and also in the cruise line uh, disney dream when it launches will have trading that goes on there so i think again it's that interaction Interaction piece, and it gives customers another great tool for interaction. And you know, I was going to ask you about that because I think, like pin trading, it gives, especially kids and even adults, the opportunity to talk to the cast members, which I think is such an important look. The castle and the attractions are great, but it is the cast members that that make the magic and make the experience here. And you see, those moments are, are being formed not by the fall on on Tower of Terror; it's by the cast member that you remember. And I've and when I see a child asks for a cast member's autograph. I just think that's that's something special. I agree. I agree. You know, I actually had it happen over the uh, at Festival of the Masters where people are like, can you sign this for me? And I'm like, hey, look, I'm just a guy, you know, and I, I love Disney. I work here, you know, and I enjoy talking about what we do for Disney, but it, it's humbling, you know, and I think that people feel a sense of connection, and, you know, particularly our pass holders that come back time and time again, those that are into Disney Vacation Club, or those that just, you know, have come down like I did. I, mean, I was 83 when we first came down here. Love the Epcot Center. You know, I have all sorts of Epcot Center merchandise, and it just was Journey into Imagination was one of those things I loved, and again, that's a relationship you build over time, and that becomes that sense of that ownership and so they do come back and they do seek out people like Molly that customer you know that the guest that comes back and seek you know seeks me out every year to get a picture that's humbling you know I mean yeah, for some, it's just a job. You know, I mean, like, hey, this is, you know, you could think of it that way. Like, oh, I just work at Magic Cam or I work at Disney. But I think for many customers that I've met, it becomes a sense of passion. It becomes a calling in many ways that, you know, they want to make others happy. And, and that, to me, at the end of the day, that's just what I hope happens. Yeah, I want people to buy merchandise because that's where, you know, how I generate money for the shareholders and the company. But it's never been about that for me. It's always been about just having those same memories that I had as a guest. And I like you because not only do you bring that toad and the orange bird, but you're, but you're calling it Epcot Center. So that, that's the, uh, that's the important thing. I brought out others here. You know, I brought out Anubis, you know, uh, from the recent Park 5 series oh, here. Wow. And a halt, unbelievers. You know, but the cool part is the little details we can add. Like underneath the bottom here, uh, Maria, who's the artist, added the, you know, added the, the whole scene, you know, the little character that's like halt, you know. Um, when I mentioned about open window box, I also brought out one of our nerds. This is uh, Chip. And uh, it's based on the nerds' art that exists out there. I love this. A little three-inch figure, and it looks like that nerd's, uh, nerd's rock art that you'll see in some of the soft lines, pins, and that kind of thing, but it has little glasses, nerd glasses on it. He's dressed like, you know, but it'll be an open window box, and it'll be all the different characters. They're coming in the spring of, of uh, 2011, but again, that's a great example of being able to not only have that mystery, but also being able to feature some of our great characters on this Vinylmation forum. And like you said, there's attractions, there's characters, there's sort of the urban series, there's holiday series. The other thing I like about Vinylmation that is unique is that it also becomes an additional individual or even group interactive experience because you sell blanks. You sell three-inch and nine-inch blanks. And I've had the opportunity to be at events where people get together and they'll all sign it and give it away. And it's it's such a great idea because it becomes, like you said, so participatory. And I think, you know, that was kind of the key is that we wanted, you know, pins is great because you can collect what you like. And we tried some uh, things over the years like build a pin, you know, trying to, you know, which was great. But I think with vinyl, it does have that opportunity to really make something. I've seen some incredible customs. I mean, like, what the fans are doing with them are just amazing. But not only that, you know, you, you, it's something as 
as simple as like my son's fourth birthday, we brought uh, bought a blank white vinyl and had all the kids sign it, you know, and decorate on it. Uh, I had a, a, a friend who went to Epcot for their 10th wedding anniversary and had all the international cast write greetings, you know, uh, for their 10th wedding anniversary. It becomes a great keepsake. It becomes a great thing. Like you signed today, the I Was There vinyl for the holiday press event. It becomes a nice, tangible thing that you can display on a shelf. You can use that. But if you're really artistically inclined, man, you can go to town. You can do whatever you want with the figure. I mean, it's in a, again, we encourage that so that it becomes interactive. And I think that's really a key piece of a, of having a creativity and really using that kind of concept that think differently, think out of the box when it comes to designing these things. That's what our artists have to do. They have to do the same thing. You know, they have this blank form, and how do you interpret something like Anubis or the Orange Bird on this particular thing and make the form work? Yeah, again, because it's three dimensional, it obviously presents challenges. It also presents opportunity, and I've seen kids sort of pick up a marker and create one on their own. I've seen adults use the nine-inch ones as centerpieces and at their weddings, and they have people sign them instead of sort of maybe a guest book. Uh, one of the most humbling and frightening moments in my life is when somebody handed me a, a Lou Mangiello vinyl mansion. <laughs> so, uh, again, oh, it, was, it was frightening only because it was, it was pretty accurate. And, um, but it shows, like you said, somebody with great artistic ability, what they're able to do and create a, a, such a unique, one-of-a-kind gift. And I think, you know, again, it goes back to what I was saying before about that becoming a part of Disney, you know, and I think there is that such of that sense of ownership. I mean, people have grown up with Disney, they love Disney, and this is just one of those items that they can really personalize and become and create literally a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. You can be as talented as our Disney artists are and really create something. I'd love to see that. That has to be an awesome figure. That's great. I'll, uh, I'll show you a picture if you promise not to laugh at my unibrow. But... Um, <laughs> Is there something else that, again, and we're seeing such a, um, a great change and an opportunity in merchandise? Because if, you know, things like vinylations and pins, you almost get a sense that, well, if you buy one, you sort of have to start the collection. And many of us are Disney completists and say, well, if I'm going to get one haunted mansion pin, I want to get them all, or I need to get all of the extinct attractions. But recently, uh, here in Walt Disney World and Disneyland, we were introduced to something completely new, although something that's been very, very popular overseas. And Duffy the Bear has made his presence felt right alongside the mouse. You know, Duffy the Disney Bear. I brought uh, two different Duffies here. The one I travel with, um, I take him. I've taken him to Tucson, Arizona. I've taken him kind of all over the place. Uh, you know, Duffy, is, it's great to have him arrive here in the States. He loves to travel. And for those that aren't familiar with Duffy, think of the most cuddliest teddy bear you possibly can. It has some little hidden Mickey details on him, on the, on the paws, and even has a little hidden Mickey on the backside of him. Um, but Minnie Mouse made the bear for Mickey. And Mickey was going on a long sea voyage, and so she didn't want Mickey to be alone, and so she created this bear. She presented him in a duffel bag, and that's how he got his name. Duffy. And so he took, Mickey took Duffy on all these adventures, met, you know, friends and took pictures and went to landmarks and now he has returned to Epcot and also at Disney California Adventure um, in the Paradise Pier area and Epcot, he is near World Showcase uh, uh, right near Mexico Pavilion um, and it's great. You can meet Duffy at his friendship gazebo and uh, I've met him. I took my son to meet him the other day and he loves to give hugs, you know. Uh, but not only that, we also offer then uh, Duffy to Disney Bear in a variety of different sizes. So I have a 17-inch here. I also brought the Holiday Bear, which is about 12 inches, and he's dressed in holiday attire. So we offer some pre-dressed ones, offer the uh, the 17-inch. And then there's even a larger size, a 28-inch, which is really cuddly. But the whole goal is for people to take them on trips, take them on adventures. You know, I think that World Showcase obviously lends itself to that. You can literally travel the day uh, with Duffy. Um, but again, it's that story of, you know, there's a great story tied to Duffy. And I think that's what we do best when it comes to merchandise. We're always thinking about story. It's story first, you know, and this is a great story. And it's great. You're right. Tokyo. Wow. Talk about exciting. <laughs> you know, I had a chance to go to Tokyo in 2002. Um, so this is prior to Duffy uh, uh, being there. But even then, it's just the fan enthusiasm is just wow. It was amazing. Where do you think that comes yeah. from? Because I think so many of us are used to you come to Walt Disney World or Disneyland <laughs> And if you have children, you buy them a Mickey plush or a Sorcerer Mickey or a Pluto, whatever their favorite guy. What do you think? How do you think Duffy is, who sort of literally come out of nowhere? I mean, there was this sort of the, the Disney Bear storybook that my kids had as they were growing up. But he comes out of left field and instantly becomes, especially we see it in Tokyo, I think we're starting to see it here already, so, so popular so fast. 
and I think it goes back to that storytelling. You know, I think it also, I think our, our guests in Japan really gravitate to, and this is my uh, my observations, uh, to really cute things. And Duffy is clearly a very cute uh, a bear. But I also have Angel from uh, Lilo and Stitch. That uh, There was a lot of product and merchandise associated with Angel. Orange Bird. There was a lot of Orange Bird merchandise that was created over there. I think that cuteness, um, I think, you know, with... Uh, Tokyo Disney Resort, it's six stops down from downtown Tokyo. I mean, my wife and I went in, um, we were there for our honeymoon, so we went down to downtown Tokyo, literally got on the train and we are like, there are six stops later, you know. So it's very close, it's a great place, very much like Disneyland, where there's a lot of local guests that come back time and time again. Uh, Walt Disney World, same thing, but a little bit different just due to the scope and due to the vacation kingdom, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's difficult to say. You know, I think our, our guests in Japan just really gravitate to uh, certain items, and we certainly have seen it here in the United States. And again, I go back to story. I think having that great story about how Mick, Minnie made the, the bear from Mickey and how there's that idea you can travel around um, is really cool. Not only that, but I think also the advent of technology. You know, I think then you have this uh, social media tools, which I'm now really a lot uh, a part of. I uh, help manage Duffy's Facebook page, you know, so you can actually go to <laughs> facebook.com slash Duffy the Disney Bear, and you can like that page, and you can see all sorts of adventures. We're playing some fun games, like where is Duffy, and um, asking some questions about where people would take stuff, you know, take their Duffy, uh, showcasing new items upcoming. But that kind of social interaction, it really kind of extends beyond the physical world into that social environment, and you can see people, I mean, posting their uh, uh, Duffy pictures, even the uh, Let the Memories Begin, where guests can submit their their photos and their memories of, you know, uh, uh, when they they were coming to Disney World. I actually found a, a photo the other day. A guest went to Tokyo, and they had they met Duffy, and they submitted that photo. So I think again, it's one of those having that technology to connect fans, and they can then showcase where they've taken their Duffy is really one of those key pieces. And, and you said, and it's funny because I also have seen online and in, in both places like Facebook and then Twitter, and, and even uh, specific Disney online communities and forums, people are taking their Disney Duffy the Disney Bear and taking their picture with them in front of the castle. And then they take the picture with them in front of the Tree of Life. Well, then they go you know, to England and they bring Duffy along with them. And it's funny how that happens, that they sort of feel the sense of that connection and they want to share that with other Disney fans. Disney also ha- uh, Duffy also has outfits that you can buy, so you can, you know, if you want to dress up your bear, you can do that as well. You know, and I think that again, it goes back to the immersive story. Um, you know that that Facebook thing. It was it was amazing to the hat that it has a, a Facebook page. You know, but again, reading the stories, we had started hearing uh, reports from various uh, operators out in the field uh, working our attractions that guests were actually asking for seats for Duffy on some of the attractions. So we put it out there on Facebook as a question: Have you done this? Surprisingly, yes. There's actually a lot of people that have. I was like, wow. But again, that sense of ownership, it goes back to, you know, particularly for pass holders that come back time and time again. They can meet Duffy. They can see him. They can see throughout the celebrations that take place, like the recently concluded Food and Wine Festival. They can bring their Duffy to the various events that happen throughout the entire year. Um, yeah, it's amazing. He's a cuddly little bear. I mean, he's so cute, too. I mean, that's the thing. I have uh, pictures of me hugging him and that kind of stuff. But again, I think it's a fun, fun story. And it's sort of that extension of what Pal Mickey used to be. You know, people were carrying their Pal Mickeys and they'd carry them on his lanyard. And now they're doing it with Duffy. Uh, my kids actually have one of the 24-inch Duffy bears. Uh, I can tell you, I'm a hugger. That is one really comfortable, cuddly bear, although I will not be posting those pictures on Facebook or anywhere else. Um, obviously, all this merchandise is available throughout the Walt Disney World Parks, downtown Disney. I'm sure you can get it online at DisneyStore.com. Steve Miller, Merchandise manner, uh, Manager, I really appreciate it. And uh, please keep the, um, the retro Vinylmations coming. Yeah, you know, I tell you, we got a lot of great stuff. We launched our Facebook page for Vinylmation as well, facebook.com slash Vinylmation. A lot of great stuff that's coming with that. Retro, you're going to love. Um, you think about the 40th anniversary of Walt Disney World, and there's some really great stuff. We're working on some park collections next year that are really going to give some nods to some folks or be like, wow, you know, I remember that. And I think the fans are really going to dig it. And I think that's, again, such a great medium. And But that creativity is just everywhere within theme park merchandise. So I appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate you coming on. And if you can put me on the list for a Dreamfinder and Horizons Vinylmation, I just want to get on that list as soon as possible. Steve, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Oh, he'll move. Ho, ho, ho. 
while many people were disappointed when they heard that there would be no D23 Expo in 2010 after the fun and the success of the 2009 event, we were all very happy to hear that it would be returning in 2011. And from August 19th through the 21st, the Anaheim Convention Center in California will once again be host and home to the ultimate Disney fan event. It's going to be the largest gathering of all things Disney. Again, celebrity appearances, special screenings, exhibits, presentations, fan forums, so, so much more. And like I said, last year's event was, especially for me personally, incredible. And I think for so many people who were either there in person or maybe followed along all four days in the box as we broadcast it live for you, it really was Something special, something memorable, and obviously something that we looked forward to coming in the future. This year, when we heard that it was coming in 2011, I already started planning on making it even bigger and better. I'm sure Disney's doing the same. And I also wanted to add a little something special to this event. So I thought to kick off the D23 Expo, I wanted to do something that I had heard so much about and heard rave reviews of and something that I wanted you to be a part of as well. So for the six days prior to the D23 Expo in August 2011, we're going to be taking part in the Adventures by Disney Backstage Magic Tour. It's a six-day, five-night tour that lets you get the Disney VIP treatment. You visit legendary Hollywood landmarks, go to Imagineering, go to the Walt Disney Studios, and you also get a little peek backstage over at Disneyland as well. The tour is going to run from August 14th through the 19th, 2011. So it's a perfect tour and timing for anybody that's going to be heading out to the D23 Expo. Actually, the tour ends with breakfast on the morning of the Expo opening day. So again, the timing is perfect. Here's just a rundown of some of the experiences that we're going to go through on the Adventures by Disney tour. Backstage at Jimmy Kimmel Live, we're going to tour the Jim Henson Company Studio. We're going to get a private tour of Walt Disney Imagineering, a private tour of the Walt Disney Studios lot. We're also going to get a privately guided tour of some of Hollywood's famous landmarks, a behind-the-scenes tour of the Disneyland Park, the El Capitan Theater. We're going to meet a puppeteer over at the Jim Henson Creature Shop, have some character breakfast over at Disneyland, and get some other VIP experiences over at the Disneyland Park and Disney's California Adventure. We're going to spend... Two nights in Hollywood at the Renaissance Hollywood Hotel. It's a AAA Four Diamond Award-winning hotel. And then three nights over at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel leading up to the D23 Expo. So what's included in the Adventures by Disney package? It includes the accommodations for five nights, again, in Hollywood and at Disneyland. Five breakfasts, three lunches, and three dinners. All the transportation within the adventure, the baggage handling, the guides, the tours, the activities... Gratuities for Bellman's drivers and and housekeeping staff, all the taxes and fees, everything is included in one price. Now, what's also going to separate this from a normal Adventures by Disney is that we have reserved the entire group. So it's only going to be WDW Radio listeners who are part of it. And it's a very, very limited number set out by Disney because they want to keep these very close, very personal, intimate experiences uh, because of the special things that we're going to be doing. Now, I did announce this recently to the box people during a live video broadcast and chat. So many spots uh, actually were sold and reserved very, very quickly. So I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to sell it when I say that if you are interested or you're thinking about joining us on the Adventures by Disney Backstage Magic Tour right before the expo, you need to act quickly because, again, the group size is limited by Disney. So when all the spots are gone, we are unable to add any more. I also want to mention one quick caveat. Because of all the access to the backstage areas, both at Disneyland and at Imagineering and the Walt Disney Studios, this trip is limited to adults and kids 16 years of age or older. Um, unfortunately, kids, all kids have to be at least 16 in order to participate in the Adventures by Disney. Obviously, there's a lot more information to share on this. I'm going to put a link in this week's show notes as well as a blog post that I'll put out this week where you can download a PDF with the itinerary, the costs, and other frequently asked questions that you may have. If you have any questions that aren't listed in the PDF, 
You can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Again, I'm very, very excited about this trip because I was so looking forward to the expo. I think this is just going to add such a great element to it, a great way to kick off the expo with something that I've never done before and heard such, such good things about. I'm looking forward to sharing this experience with friends and other members of the WDW Radio family. And of course, you know, whenever we do things like this, there's always a few surprises that we have that we can't put on the PDF as well. So I promise you, this will be definitely an experience of a lifetime. Again, if you have any questions that you can't find out on the PDF, please email me at lou at wdwradio.com. I hope to see so many of you on our Adventures by Disney backstage magic trip just days before the D23 Expo, August 14th through the 19th, 2011. Again, for more information, I'll put a link in this week's show notes and in the blog over at wdwradio.com. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Thanks, as always, to my guest, Jim Corcus. You can find his book, The Vault of Walt, available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. I'll have a link right in this week's show notes. Thanks also to Stephen Miller from Disney Parks Merchandise. I'll also put links in this week's show notes at WDWRadio.com where you can find out more. And I'd also like for you to comment in the show notes about my discussion with Stephen Miller. Tell me, what do you think of the Vinylmation phenomenon? Maybe what do you think about Duffy? Do you have one? Do you want one? Again, leave your comments in the show notes or call the voicemail at 888-703-2171. You can talk about the conversation with Stephen Miller or just about anything, even call and say hi from the parks. You can also email me anytime at lou at www.radio.com. If you want a chance to be on the air, Play Fact or Fiction for a chance to win some prizes. You can email factorfiction at www.radio.com with your name and your phone number. I may call you out of the blue, ask you 10 true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World, again, for a chance to win some prizes. Be sure and come by the website over at www.radio.com. Check out our daily blog posts, our photo galleries, our discussion forums, where you can talk with other Disney fans in a fun, friendly, safe environment. You can also find out where you can sign up for a free email newsletter. Connect with me and the show through Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You'll also find links there to all of my videos. Again, stay tuned this week. As long as we're talking about the holidays, I'm going to be releasing a holiday video through iTunes and on YouTube. You can come by and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You'll also find all the archived shows going back to show number one. Most of the shows and, and interviews are evergreen. There's reviews, Wayback Machines, trivia, history, so, so much more. Speaking of that, I mentioned a few weeks ago on the show that in order to keep the show as evergreen as possible, but to still cover Walt Disney World news and some rumors in a very fun, interactive way, tune in every Wednesday night to www.newscast.com where you can join in a live video broadcast and chat about the news as I discuss it, be part of the conversation, be part of the discussion. Again, that is the weekly WDW Newscast over at WDWNewscast.com. And if you can't be there for the live show, they're all going to be put up on YouTube that same night. Come by, subscribe, and comment on the YouTube channel. It's YouTube.com slash WDW Radio. I also wanted to take a second and just let you know that I am sincerely humbled and honored by the news I just got that WDW Radio was just nominated for the best travel and best produced podcasts over at podcastawards.com. I first want to say thank you to all of you who went out and nominated the show. I truly, truly do appreciate it. But now I need to please ask for your help um, because voting is going to begin on Wednesday, December 1st. It's going to run for two weeks until December 15th. You can, and if possible, I'd ask you to please vote once per day. So it's once every 24 hours, every day, until the voting period ends. You can visit podcastawards.com. I'll put the link on the website and in this week's show notes. Look for the travel category on the bottom right and the best produced on the top right. Select and put in wdwradio.com. And please be sure and enter 
your name and a valid email address as you're going to have to verify your vote via email. So after you vote, look for an email from podcastawards.com and then you have to click on that link in order to make your vote count. Remember, you can vote once per day, every day from Wednesday, December 1st until December 15th. Again, no matter the outcome, thank you all so, so much for listening and for your support this and every year. I truly, truly do appreciate it and as well as uh, as your votes and help during the voting process. Okay, so let's move on to something else I'm really excited about. This Sunday, December 5th, we're having a very special WDW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World. As you know, I do these meets every month, both in and out of the parks. This one's going to be a little special because the following week, December 12th, is going to mark the 200th episode of WDW Radio. So I want to do something special to thank you and to keep these sort of uh, events interactive. I want you to be part of that 200th show. So I'm going to combine it with the meat of the month. We're going to do some recording for that episode. But I also, again, want to show my appreciation to you. We'll turn it into a bit of a, a celebratory atmosphere because... Without your friendship, I never would have made it to show number two, like I said, let alone number 200. So I've reserved space over at Ariel's at Disney's Beach Club Resort. It's outside the park, so you don't need a park ticket. On Sunday, December 5th, from 3 to 5 p.m., the doors will open around 3.15. We'll have snacks, some refreshments, of course, at no cost to you. We'll also have some giveaways and some prizes. And uh, I'm also going to have a couple of special announcements that day as well. Something I'm going to kick off that day uh, that I think is pretty special that you might want to be involved in. I'll put a link in this week's show notes to the Facebook event page, or you can just go to DisneyMeets.com. It has all the event there. RSVPing is not necessary, but it is appreciated. So if you're on Facebook, please go to the Facebook event page and RSVP there. I'll also have on DisneyMeets.com more information about upcoming meets, including our January meet of the month, which will most likely be over Marathon Weekend, probably Saturday, January 8th. I'll have details coming soon. The February meet of the month will be before, maybe even after, the WW Radio cruise aboard the Disney Dream. That's February 27th. And again, if you are considering joining us or looking to cruise on the, on the new Disney Cruise Line ship, the Disney Dream, please come by and join us. We still have room available for more information, you can visit www.radiocruise.com. If you're coming, come check out the forums over on the website. There's lots of discussion going on about the cruise there. And if you are looking for shirts or logo gear, hats, anything like that, you can also visit www.radiocruise.com for a link to the Cafe Press store. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. You can get a free no-obligation quote for your Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line. Obviously, our adventures by Disney vacation. And if you're looking to come out for the D23 Expo next year, they can help you with that as well. If you're looking to rent a vacation home within just a few miles of Walt Disney World, All-Star Vacation Homes has houses with private pools, spas, kitchen, game rooms, multiple master bedrooms, and so, so much more. You can visit them over at All-Star Vacation Homes. And as I said last week, Santa Claus has voted the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin his all-time favorite resort. In addition to the incredibly comfortable beds of the Swan and Dolphin, there are lots of special events going on. Everything from Christmas tree lightings to Santa and Mrs. Claus meet and greets, storytelling, pastry decorating, holiday entertainment, and so, so much more. And again, keep in mind that you don't have to be staying at the Swan or Dolphin to come by and take a look and participate in some of the many events going on there. So if you're looking for a day or some time outside the parks, looking for something else to do, be sure and head on over to the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin. For more information and a calendar of events, visit this week's show notes or look for the link on the right-hand side of the homepage of www.radio.com. Another quick reminder uh, about the WDW Radio running team that we announced last week. It's a group of people who are dedicated to running Disney races, including the Walt Disney World Half and Full Marathon coming in January. So if you're a runner, a walker, or just want to come and cheer, want to be part of the WW Radio running team, there's lots of different ways you can be involved. Again, all the while, and most importantly, we're looking to raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation through our Dream Team project. Along the way, we're going to be sharing information and experiences about the races, advice for the weekend events, preparation, motivational stories, 
and again, the progress that we're all making over time. Most of us are not professional athletes by any stretch of the imagination, but we love to go out there and enjoy the races, either as runners or spectators. And again, all this impacting in such a positive way people's lives that really need the magic through the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. So if you want to be a part, if you want to find out more and want to be a part of the WDW Radio running team, all you need to do is to join the team for a cost of $35. That's going to cover your membership materials, including, but not limited to, a WW Radio team tech shirt. So we've got the moisture wicking shirts with the logo, headbands, membership certificates, and obviously all the shipping costs. And all we ask you to do too is to commit to fundraising for the marathon with a minimum donation of $100. And that goes right to the Make-A-Wish Foundation through the Dream Team Project. That commitment can be for an individual, a couple, a family, however you want to do it. And if you want to purchase additional team shirts for family members, whether they're runners, want to join us on the sidelines, cheering people on as they go by, they can purchase those as well. We've got hoodies, sweatshirts, everything available as well. If you do want to join and you want to order shirts or sweatshirts, they must be ordered by December 14th. You can also check out the WW Radio Running Team Facebook page for team members. For more information, if you have any questions to join the team, you can email Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, over at www.radio.com. Or if you have any other questions, you can always email me at lou at www.radio.com. Again, like I said, there's always lots of things going on. I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff with so much up in the air, but so much that I'm excited about. And again, all of that goes out to you. And I thank you again in this week of Thanksgiving for allowing me to share my passion for Disney with you through this show or the newscast and the meets of the month and everything else like that. I truly do appreciate your support and letting me do this for the past few years. I truly mean it when I say that I consider you all friends, whether we have met yet or not, and I hope I have a chance to do that at the meets of the month with a cruise or just running into you in the parks. And as always, my friends, if you like the show, please continue to help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share the link on Facebook. Come review the show on the free WW Radio app over on iTunes. Of course, by showing your support, by voting at the podcast awards, very much appreciated as well. And as always, my friends, I hope that you take those first steps towards pursuing your passion and following your dreams. And when you do, always, always keep moving forward. I hope you have a fantastic week this week. Thanks again, everybody. See ya. Hi, Lou and fellow podcast friends. Uh, this is Vicki Doran. I am also Love Disney Dogs on the forums, and I just wanted to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving from New Jersey. Um, standing out here, it's uh, about 11 a.m., and the snow is coming down on a Thanksgiving day. I thought you'd get a kick out of that, Lou. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Hey, guys. It's Mary Jo Collins, member of the WDW Radio Running Team and proud finisher of the 2010 Goofy's Race and a Half Challenge. I was just calling to say that I hope that you will consider joining the WDW Radio Running Team. The coming marathon weekend in January is approaching, and I know that being a member of our team will be a win-win-win situation for you. One, you'll be benefiting an incredible charity, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Two, you'll have the support of like-minded Disney enthusiasts. And most importantly, you'll be cheered on by none other than Lou Mangello. So I can't think of a better team to be on. I hope you'll consider it and be on our team. Take care, guys. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Billy Lana speaking. I just got uh, done listening to episode 196 of the radio show um, when Alan Menken was on, and I enjoyed listening to every part of it. Um, And I also wanted to commend you on the introduction of the show. I love listening to the introduction. I want to say that Episode 196 is probably my favorite intro with uh, Hercules and Aladdin and Little Mermaid, Sleeping Beauty and or Cinderella and all those different all those different scores that you just incorporated in the very beginning. I just had fun listening to it. I actually rewound quite a few times just to listen to it and uh, to enjoy it. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. Okay, have a good one, Lou. Bye. Hello, everyone. It's Darlene Nagy from Buffalo, New York. We've got three months until the WDW radio cruise. Woohoo! 
hope you guys are all starting your Christmas shopping and getting ready for the holidays because once those are over, that cruise is just going to fly on us. Talk to you all soon. Have a magical day. Bye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.